First John chapter 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. As we sing our first song this morning, think about that amazing love, how can it be? joining us for worship today at First Baptist Church of Wixom. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. We have scheduled a baptismal service on Sunday, July 16th. Please see Pastor Rad if you would like to be baptized or if you have any questions about baptism. Community groups continue tonight at 6 p.m. If you are not yet connected with the Sunday p.m. community group, please visit fbcwixom.org forward slash community groups for more information. 
Community groups meet most Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. In just a few minutes, we'll be dismissing children four years through third grade out the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you'd like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you would like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. Good morning, everyone. A lot of our church family are out of town for the holidays, but we're glad to have you here today. And a special welcome to our guests. Thank you for joining us at First Baptist Church. Pray that the service today will be a blessing and a help to you. I have a couple of announcements to mention before we open with a word of prayer. You probably realize that every year in October and November, we take a collection for Operation Christmas Child. This is where we encourage you to either contribute financially or to fill up a shoebox with gifts for kids around the world. And it gets sent out by Samaritan's Purse, and they do so with a gospel presentation in it and a connection to a local church. It's really a great gospel opportunity. Operation Christmas Child here in our church, we have a couple of leaders uh, that work on this, Emily Shung and Brian Wright primarily. And they're looking for a little bit of help. And um, if you, uh, particularly young people that are, might be interested in this, who can help uh, take the reins of leadership here in the future and would like to learn about the process of how Operation Christmas Child works, I would just encourage you to reach out to Brian and uh, see him and see if there's a way that you can connect with that ministry and be a help. Brian, would you wave your hand right back there? That's the guy you need to go see. So if you're interested in helping with that, uh, please introduce yourself to Brian and start that conversation with him today. also want to mention that on Wednesday nights, I don't know if you knew this, but every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, the adults gather here in the auditorium for uh, a time of prayer and a time of Bible study. I just want to talk about this for just a minute this morning in case you're unaware. Uh, almost every Wednesday night, our teen group meets down in the teen room and our children have a meeting going on as well. But almost every Wednesday night, the adults meet in here, and we start with a time of prayer. We actually have a time of prayer requests, and we share a missionary update, and then we get into groups of two or three, and we pray around the auditorium. It's a great time of fellowship. If you're wondering how to engage deeper and connect with other people at church, Wednesday nights is a wonderful way to do it. And then Holden and Johnny are bringing a Bible study on Wednesday nights right now in the Minor Prophets. And if you've ever had questions about, like, why do the Minor Prophets even exist in the Word of God? And what do they have to do with modern Christianity? Um, they're answering some of those questions in really practical ways. And uh, those of us that are, are joining on Wednesday night are finding those Bible studies really helpful and, and interesting. And so we just want to make sure that you know you're invited. 7 o'clock Wednesday nights, time of prayer and Bible study here in the auditorium. Normally, as I said, there's teen and children's meetings this Wednesday night on the 5th, 
there will be no children's meeting. The teens will be meeting, kids will be meeting in here with the adults. Just so you know that, no children's meeting this Wednesday night. And then lastly, um, on Thursday, uh, Johnny and Laura Martin and Mari and I are going to visit some of our missionaries. Uh, This is not a secret trip. It's just bad communication on my part. The deacons and us have been talking about it for some time. It's been on the calendar. We just failed to mention it. I failed to mention it to you. We're going to visit Dan and Dina Brown in Germany. And we'll be gone for about eight days. And we appreciate your prayers for us as we visit them try to learn more about their ministry, um, try to encourage them, but then also all of us will be doing some ministry while we're there. So we appreciate your prayers for us as we visit our missionaries, Dan and Dina Brown in Germany. Next Sunday morning, Holden will be bringing the morning message again from our psalm series. I know it will be a challenge and a blessing to you, and I encourage you to be back next Sunday morning for our worship gathering. Let's pray as we begin today. Father, we're so thankful for your love, that amazing love that we've already sung about this morning, that makes all of the difference because it was your love that motivated you to send your son, your only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you for that love that you demonstrated to us even while we were yet sinners in that Christ died for us. Thank you not only for your love for us but the opportunity to love one another as we gather together for this this time of worship and study in your word. May you help us to speak the truth in love to one another. And would you help us to provoke one another to greater love and greater good works. Father, we're so grateful for all that you've done for us. And we pray that today you'll help us to return that gratitude to you in praise. Help us as we worship you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we continue. His robes for mine. robes for mine, no wonderful exchange, clothed in my sin, Christ suffered in God's grace, draped in his righteousness, I'm justified, in Christ I live, for in my face he died, I cling to Christ and marvel at the cause. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God. But by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my own, shall be for Christ alone. His robes for mine, what was it by to dread? God's daunting love, Christ mastered in all this I said with righteous works, not mine. Saved by my Lord's vicarious death and life. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God is strange from God. What by such love my life is not my own. For mine, such anguish none can know. Christ God's beloved, condemned as though it's low. He has no eye, a thirst and lamb. 
close to the freedom that we have from sin through Jesus' amazing grace. Uh, So we'll be singing an old hymn. It's a, a new chorus, and it's, My chains are gone, I've been set free. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was mine, but now I see. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me.
Amen. Thank you, guys. There's 10,000 reasons and more for our heart to find, to worship his holy name. Thank you for that song this morning. Please take your Bibles to Hebrews and chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, if you've been with us this year on Sunday mornings, you know we've been going through a series of messages in the Psalms, and we've been looking at a theology in the Psalms that asks the question, who is God and and what am I supposed to do in response? Now, we're halfway through that series. There's a lot more to explore as we consider the albums of worship that we have in the book of Psalms. But since we're halfway through, I thought it would be good for us to take a break today and to go somewhere else and consider something just a little bit different, maybe a, a little bit more of a practical, um, daily living kind of message that has to do with Christianity in America today. And I think this is maybe uh, mostly for me, but if you're like me, you might be discouraged as you see parts of our society look like they're unraveling, look like it's falling apart. It might be discouraging to you. And so a couple of weeks ago, I was thinking through this and what we might do for today and was thinking about Hebrews chapter 11. I, I don't know about you, but I love the stories of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, I was thinking about one guy in particular who had every reason in the world to wrap all of his hopes and dreams in a place, in a nation, in a country. And that man is Abraham. But before we get to Abraham, I just want to think about what are your hopes and your desires for America? Think about that for just a second. What would you, if you could boil it down, what are your hopes and dreams for America. Maybe it's that America would return to its Christian roots, or maybe that there would be a different political party in power, or maybe that you'd have different leaders, maybe that would turn their attention back to God. Maybe you look at it more pragmatically and you'd like to see an economy that is successful or a dollar that is stronger. What, what should we be desiring is the question. What should we be desiring as Christians? And I think the answer might surprise you. Before we get to that, I just want to tell you a quick story. So when our kids were little, we loved to go to water parks. How many young people in here love a, water, a good water park? How many old folks like a good water park? Okay, uh, pretend to be young people. All right, so I remember we were at this water park and there was this one particular slide that the way it was constructed is you, you stood at the top and you looked at this kind of plummet and it went behind this area where you couldn't see where people went. They just like disappeared, you know. And as they went, they were screaming like, like they were about to die. They would go in, they would scream. And so you're standing at the top of the slide with a bunch of other children and a few adults. And you're looking at each other and everybody's got kind of a fearful look on their face. You know, like what is about to happen? And then you see people who would finish the ride and they come out at the bottom and they're laughing and they're having a good time and they're high-fiving each other and they're all smiles. And so at first it looks scary. It looks like this plunge, this leap of faith. But you see the outcome. And I think sometimes the Christian life is like this. Like life looks really scary. And if you look with these eyes, you, you consider life empirically. Like what is the data that I can see and feel and touch and measure? It can be a little bit scary. Or you can live by faith. 
There's really two ways to go about life. One is what makes sense, and one is what I can't see, and that is living by faith. And let's just talk about faith for just a little bit, because Hebrews defines it as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's talk about a couple of things we've never seen. Like, I've never seen God the Father. Have you? No. I've never seen the Holy Spirit. I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen one of the apostles. I've never seen heaven. I've never seen a Bible character. I've never seen a Bible author. I've never even seen an original Bible manuscript. And yet, most of us would say we believe in these things, right? And in fact, most of us would say, I would stake my eternity on these things. I accept them by faith. And by the way, this is the way it's always been for God's people. God's people have always been looking for something better than what they can see with their physical eyes. They're living by faith. In fact, there's a, there's a passage in Galatians chapter 3 that kind of connects us with Abraham. It says this, that even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, those that believe in what they cannot see, the same are the children of Abraham, or they're, they're descending from this way of thinking. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. That God blesses this kind of view of life. Yes, I can't see it, but I'm trusting in something bigger than what I can measure or see with my physical eyes. Now, if you're called to live by faith today, you understand you're not living for this world It is not your home, as the chorus says. We're just a passing through. You're living for eternity. You are looking for what Hebrews 11 calls a better country. Squire Parsons called it Beulah Land. Beulah Land. I want to think about a better country this morning. Now, just thinking about living by faith. A couple of weeks ago, I was um, sitting at a picnic table wearing blue jeans and my work boots. And I had a teenage kid come up to me and challenge me to a game of basketball. And if you know me at all, I really love playing basketball. And I also like pretending I'm 20 years younger than I actually am. And so he's like, hey, old man, do you think you can hang with me wearing jeans and boots? And I'm like, oh, it's on right now. And I jumped up from the table. And so we started playing basketball. Literally three minutes into the game, I go up for a layup. I slip on the floor that we're playing, have a total train wreck, wipe out, do the splits, and end up laying on the floor looking at the lights with him standing over me. Not sure if he should laugh or if he should feel bad or if he should keep, you know, jabbing at me for being an old man. But I think a lot of times, here's how Christians approach a life of faith. Now think about this for just a second. It's one of those things that in theory sounds great. And we talk a pretty big talk, right? Remember in James it says a man can say he has faith. Anybody can say, yes, I'm a man of faith and I live by faith. But do we? I mean, I think a lot of Christians are actually laying on the floor, looking up at the lights going, oh, I tried. (laughs) But when our faith is tested, do we actually believe in what we cannot see? And, and, and what does it mean for Americans today as we celebrate independence this week? What does it mean for us to live by faith? These are the questions that were on my mind as I was thinking about 
how we're supposed to respond as believers. And looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and considering the life of Abraham. As I mentioned before, he, more than us, more than any of us, has the right, had the right to get caught up in the physical, physical location, the land, his country. But he had a different perspective. And to get started today, I just want to read a couple of verses, and then we'll kind of jump into the outline. But here's the verses. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse number 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then skip down to verse number 6 with me. It says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. For he that comes to God must believe that he is And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Do we diligently seek God? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, please help us to understand what it means to live by faith. And as we think about the life of Abraham, would you help us to to look at our own lives and ask that question? Lord, most of us, our faith hasn't really been tested. Do we really seek that better country that you have promised Do we seek your presence with all of our heart? Help us today to consider this question and to think more biblically about living a life of faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You remember Abraham, right? In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and he says, he gives him interesting instructions. He says, Abraham, I want you to go from where you live. I want you to take all of your stuff and I'll show you where you're going to land and I'm going to make your family great. I'm going to give you the land. I just want you for right now, I just want you to to leave, to go. And Abram, at the time, he does this really interesting thing. He goes and he has no answers. He has no plan. He has no map. He just obeys God. And throughout Scripture, after Genesis 12, Abraham is referenced as a man of faith who was the friend of God. Think about that description. I'd love that to be a description of my life. A man of faith who was a friend of God. I want to show you five things quickly this morning that are missing when you're living a life of faith. Five things that are missing When you're living a life of faith. Number one, Abraham had no answers. No answers. Back in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 8, it says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out, not knowing whither he went. He was not given a map. He did not get a written contract. He was just told to go, and he did. Now think about how crazy this is. Would you do this? I mean, most of us, when we're moving, we want to know, like, what's the cost of living in the area, and are there decent schools, and what am I going to be making, and is there a 401k, and will I have insurance, and, you know, all of these questions involved in a move. But what Abraham does is he just goes without the answers in fact if he would have had all of the answers it would not have been faith he just goes now he's not without instructions entirely it's not a blind leap of faith he's got some things to hold on to right he's got the instructions of god god says go okay i got that (laughs) i got promises from god i'm going to bless your family and i'm going to give you land so he's got some promises to hold on to but he really doesn't have any other 
details other than knowing God is going with him and God is going to fulfill his promises. Is that hard for you? That's kind of hard for me. I think sometimes we want answers up front. Lord, what are you going to do to fix this? How is this going to look? What are you going to do to intervene in this particular thing? I need some answers. And we worry sometimes, over-worry about the details of God's will in our life when he just says, I just want you to obey. I just want you to obey today. Do my will today. Be faithful today. Seek me today. Obey my word today. Somebody once said it this way. I think this is great. Jesus did not die so that he could follow you in your journey. It's not why he died. He died and rose again so that you could forget everything else and follow him. You say, well, that seems radical. Do I have to really forget everything else and follow him? Well, here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. To make his life about following me by faith. And sometimes we read that verse and we say, okay, yep, I'm willing to take up my cross. I'll, I'll handle the problems of life with a good attitude. But he's not talking about handling the problems of life with a good attitude. He's talking about dying. That's what a cross is. Dying to self. Giving up everything for him. No plan B. You say, well... How's that going to work? Don't know. That's a life of faith. No answers. I want you to see number two. He also had no house. No house. Verse number nine, by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles or tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Many of us find too much of our identity in our home, our house, And we spend hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars creating a nice place to live. You ever felt like your home's a bit of a money pit? Most of them are, right? We spend so much time and resources into making a nice place to live. Not necessarily a bad thing, but I just want you to see that Abraham, who was commended as a man who lived a life of faith, he lived in a tent. Now, I've told you before, Mari and I like camping, but only for a couple of days. You know what I'm saying? Like... I don't want to live in a tent permanently. Living in a tent or living in a little camper, that's temporary. And if it's it's not a perfect campsite, which most of the ones I've been in are not perfect, if it's not a perfect campsite, it's okay. Why? We're leaving, right? And, And the same thing is true of your home. If it's not perfect, it's okay. We're leaving, right? And it's not going to be very long, I think, before we're leaving. Even during Abraham's time, a tent was not considered a permanent dwelling. And he he was demonstrating that he was not really at home, never at home. He could pick it up and move at any time. Now, it's important to note, Abraham and his sons were wealthy. They were wealthy people. It wasn't about wealth, and having wealth is not wrong. It was about making that wealth liquid enough to obey God. He, He was wealthy, but he kept it portable so that he could remain obedient. See, one of our problems is this. We drive the tent stakes down so deep that we can't obey. Lord, I'd love to obey your will for my life, but I'm anchored to this home, this location, this house. 
And we take the wealth that we're commanded to steward and we use it as an excuse not to obey God's will rather than to obey it. See, the difference is Abraham said, Lord, if I can use all of this wealth that I've amassed to obey you better, then I'll use it. I'll go. I'm ready to obey whatever you tell me to do. I'm not saying that you should necessarily go sell your house today and live in a tent, maybe, but not necessarily. But I'm saying what is your attitude towards your place? Is anything, your house or anything else, in the way of radical faith living? Here's a convicting verse from Jesus again, Matthew chapter 19, and everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren, or sister, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life, willing to forsake your house. A life of faith does not put much effort into temporary accommodations. Number three, Abraham had no hometown. Look at verse 10. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This word looked is this Hebrew word for expecting it, eagerly expecting like my dogs on the back of the couch waiting for us to come home, cannot wait, vibrating with anticipation. This is kind of the idea. Abraham was looking this way for the city of God. Maybe you've heard it said that someone is so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. You've heard that phrase before. But actually, if we're, if we're taking a life of faith seriously, we're really not much earthly good unless we're heavenly minded. At least in Jesus' economy. Because what did he say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Be heavenly minded. And then I'll add all these other things to you, the earthly things. Are you eagerly anticipating the presence of God in, in heaven? This is Abraham. And I want to show you, this is, we're not just saying, Hebrews is not just saying that Abraham was waiting for God to give him this land. That's not what Hebrews 11 says. He was waiting for God to bring him home to heaven. This was his life of faith. Colossians 3, 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So no answers, no house, no hometown. Fourthly, no doubt. He was fully persuaded that he was doing the right thing. Look at verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. It's still coming what country they're talking about, but it's, I'll show you this in the next couple of verses. But he has no doubt that following God is exactly what he should do. The promises that he was persuaded God would answer were not answered in Abraham's life or for his son or for his grandson. Think about this. It was hundreds of years before this promise was realized. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were long gone by the time God came through on his promise for the land. They all died in faith, it says. And this isn't kind of a like, oh, bummer. They thought God was going to give them the promise, but God didn't. But good for them. You know, that's not what the author of Hebrews is saying. The author of Hebrews is saying, look, these guys are to be commended. The, the answer to God's promise wasn't even close. They still died in faith, and they didn't care. They were looking for something 
different, something their eyes could not see. How would you feel about a promise that someone makes to you that wasn't fulfilled until your great, 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 great grandchildren? We'd feel like that we were done wrong with the promise, but not these guys, not Abraham. He was living a life of faith. It was about eternity. He was a stranger on the earth. He declared, it says here, plainly that he was seeking a different country. It was like this, like author of Hebrews says, Abraham declared this. It was like people would say to Abraham, Abraham, are you bummed? You're getting old. You're about to die. Your descendants still do not have the land God promised. And Abraham would say, oh, hold on a second. I think you misunderstand. Like, I don't care about that. I care about living with God. I care about obeying him. Like, God's preparing for me a place in heaven that is far better than this. I'm just temporarily here. When it comes to eternity, waiting a few extra days or months or years or centuries for God is no problem. See, Abraham understood that God's promises cannot fail. You might not see them fulfilled in your timing, but they cannot fail. In John chapter 8, verse 56, it's an interesting passage where Jesus is talking about his relationship with Abraham. Isn't that funny? Like the, the religious leaders, they're hearing him, they're like, like, who, you think you know Abraham? Jesus is like, yeah, I, I've talked to Abraham, I know him personally, right? And so he says this in John eight fifty six: your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and saw it. And was glad. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying that Abraham said, I know Messiah is coming and he's going to redeem God's people and he's going to fix this relationship problem that man has with God. Ever since the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve betrayed their friendship with God and chose sin over God, he's going to fix it. He's going to send the Messiah. There's going to be a redemption. God says, Abraham, Jesus says, Abraham knew that. He knew it. And he rejoiced that that day was soon coming. Think about what that means. I mean, just like logistically. So Abraham, he knows the promises of God. He dies. He goes to heaven. And let's just pretend that Abraham sits down with Jesus and he says, Hey, what about the promise? What about the redemption? What about the, the land? What about that? And Jesus says, oh, Abraham, hold on just a little bit. When the father says, go, I'm going to go and I'm going to redeem the people and it's all going to be fine. You're going to see the whole picture. And Abraham's in heaven saying, all right, I can't wait for this to happen. Right? That's, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Abraham knew that Jesus was going to come and redeem the world back to God. Second Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God in Jesus are yes and in him Amen, or fulfilled unto the glory of God. John MacArthur said this, True faith is deaf to doubt. It is dumb to discouragement. It is blind to impossibility. No matter what it experiences, it sees only promised success. So a believer living by faith sees only eternity with Jesus in heaven. Nothing else really matters. Abraham, it says, was persuaded of God's promises. He embraced God's promises. He confessed his confidence in God's promises. Convinced he had made the right decision, no doubt. And then lastly, he had no regrets. Verse 15, and truly, 
if they, speaking of the people of faith, and Abraham maybe illustrates this more clearly than anyone else in Hebrews 11, if they had been mindful of the country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly country. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let me just ask you a question. I think this question is on the study guide for community group tonight. But where would you live if you could live anywhere in the world? Have you thought about that? Where would you live if you could live anywhere in the world? Would it be a place like this? That's Tahiti. That looks like a good place to live, doesn't it? I was reading recently about a floating city called Freedom Ship. Have you ever heard of Freedom Ship? So this thing has been like in, in dreams of billionaires for the last 20 or 30 years talking about building freedom ships so you basically could just tour the world in your apartment go all over the place or how about a man-made island like you see in dubai palm island that looks like a pretty cool place to live but i want you to think about this from a jewish perspective for the jews the land of God's promise was it it was the best place a human could live in their mind it was it Remember, it's described as a land flowing with milk and honey, just a, a wonderful and beautiful place of God's provision. But Abraham says, I just really don't care where I live on the earth. I just want to live in heaven. I just want to be with God. I want to be in the city that he's building. And it says here that if he had been mindful or if he would have even thought for a minute about where he came from, he wouldn't even think twice about it. Like, I'm headed to live with God. I desire a better country. I'm reaching out for a better place. It wasn't the land of Canaan that drove Abraham on. It was the city of God, this verse says. A better country. Where God is. Ezekiel 48 says, The name of the city from that day shall be, The Lord is there. Like, that's where I want to live. Wherever the Lord's at, that's where I want to be. That is the best country. Remember last week, in, we were in Psalm 27. David said, One thing I've desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I just want to be with God. And I just want to remind you that this is what redemption is all about. God created Adam and Eve to have fellowship with him, and they did have fellowship until Adam and Eve betrayed that friendship, disobeyed God and chose sin over that relationship, and it broke. That was that death, that spiritual death. It broke the relationship with God broke. And it took Jesus Christ to reconcile the relationship and to bring it back together. And the New Testament teaches us this very clearly. That Jesus is the one that reconciles us back to God. What's the purpose of reconciliation? So that we can be back as friends with God. So that we can live with God. So that I can go to heaven in eternity and live in the presence of God. It was all about what Jesus did to reconcile that relationship. God loves this attitude. Don't miss this. God loves this attitude. The attitude that prefers his presence over anything. I prefer God's presence over a bigger house. I prefer God's presence 
over a better nation. I prefer God's presence over anything. He wants his people to want to be with him. Verse number 16 says that Abraham or that God was not ashamed to be called his God. In James chapter 2, it describes Abraham as the friend of God. No one else in Scripture is described this way but Abraham. Why? Because he had that same attitude that David had. I just want to be in the presence of God. And he had no regrets leaving this world behind to spend eternity with his friend. I just want you to think about the term patriot for just a second. The term patriot was assigned to men originally who put themselves in a very unique category in early American history. The term patriot referred to men who literally cut the strings with England. These were the guys who burned all the bridges. They couldn't go back. There was no way to go back. And, And to demonstrate that they wouldn't go back, they signed the Declaration of Independence. And the Declaration of Independence essentially said freedom or death. That's it. Those are our two options. We're not going back. And this is the attitude, essentially, that Abraham has. God has called me to live a life of faith. What does a life of faith look like, Abraham? I don't know. He just said, obey. And I just picked up all my stuff and I'm obeying. I'm just doing whatever God tells me to do. Abraham, what about plan B? I don't have a plan B. Will you go back if it doesn't work out? I'm not going back. My attitude is obey or die. One of the two. I'm not going back. No doubts. No regrets. No looking back. This is the kind of life that God loves. A life of faith. Without answers and without resources. Without doubt and without regrets. So today I just want to ask two questions as we conclude. Just to think about, like, what about you personally? So somebody once said the the patriarchs, this is a great way to define the patriarchs, the patriarchs, including Abraham, they were defined by two things. They were defined by a tent and an altar. The tent symbolizes, I'm here temporarily, I'm just a pilgrim, I'm just a sojourner. The altar symbolizes, I have a relationship with God. A tent and an altar. So they were traveling worshipers of God. How about you? Don't you think that would be a good way to define Christians? I'm just a traveling worshiper. I'm not here permanently. I'm just here for a little while. But while I'm here, I'm worshiping God. I'm putting my attention on Him. I'm trying to build the kingdom. You might say, well, I don't... I don't even have a relationship with God, Brad. So what, is, what does that look like? What, how do you start a life of faith? Where, where's the starting gate? How do you begin a life of faith? Well, let me just tell you, Scripture teaches that all of us are sinners and that all of us need this relationship with God reconciled. And the only way to do it is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. It was all about a relationship fixed with the Father through Jesus. So how do you do that? Well, I must put my faith in Jesus Christ alone. Most humans try to put their faith in something else. Like, I'm going to try to be a good person. Maybe God will be happy with that. I'm going to try to go to church regularly. Maybe God will be happy with that. I'm going to give a lot of offerings. Maybe God will be happy with that. And all of those are man-made constructs. The Bible says the only way 
into a right relationship with God is through Jesus. And we sang about it this morning. Remember the song? His robes for mine. Oh, wonderful exchange. Literally, what Jesus says is, look, I'll take all of your sin and I'll give you all of my righteousness so that you qualify for life in heaven with God. But it is only possible by faith. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever what? Believes. Can you say that with me? That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ yet? Have you started the journey of faith? Most of us, I think, this morning would say, yes, I have started the journey of faith, but I struggle a little bit with living by faith on a daily basis. I like to have answers. So the second question is this. Are you living with a desire for a better country? Are you living with a desire for a better country? And I'm not talking about improving the U.S., okay? I, I think that Christians should vote. I think that Christians should get involved where we can. We should stand for right. We should play, pray for our leaders. We should remain patriotic. We should honor those that are serving and all of those things. But can I just tell you this morning, don't put all your eggs in that basket. Are you with me? Too many Christians do. And I think there's a danger. Can I just tell you? I think there's a danger in the church. I hope you don't find this offensive. But too many people have married their Christianity and their patriotism together so that they're inseparable. America is not the answer. I love America. I'm proud to be an American. I'm so grateful for the the privilege that I have to live here. But it is not the answer. Are you with me? Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. The the better country that God has created for us, heaven, his presence, that is the answer. And so don't get too discouraged. The world is waxing worse and worse. As Christians, we should not be in panic mode. We should be saying, oh, the Bible's right. The Bible actually says this is going to happen. Look, it's happening. The world is waxing worse and worse Every single day. It's okay. This is not our home. It's like we're camping and the the wind is blowing on the tent and there's a rip. And one of the stakes just pulled out. And a rope broke. Oh well, we're not going to be here long. We're going. Jesus is coming back. This is just temporary. We're living for a better heavenly country. Our true home. If we're born again by faith. So can I just challenge you, Christians with what to do this week as we celebrate the independence of America, can I challenge you with a couple of things? Number one, I think we should pray. We should pray for America. We're commanded to pray for our leaders. We're commanded to pray for our nation, to pray. Number two, I think we should be gratefully patriotic. Gratefully patriotic. I think we can take patriotism down some wrong paths But I know for sure that I can be grateful and honor God with that. Thank you, Lord, for letting me live in America. Thank you, Lord, for the leaders that we have. Thank you, Lord, for those that have given their lives for America. Thank you, Lord, for those who are giving their lives right now for our freedom. Thank you for the resources. Thank you for the freedom. Thank you for the the privilege we have to worship securely and openly. Thank you for these things. To be thankfully patriotic. Some of you, if you're not careful, are going to spend Tuesday 
moaning. You know what I'm saying? Like, ah, oh, man, America. Things are bad. Things are wicked. Have you seen the news? That is not how Christians are supposed to spend Independence Day. I think we should spend our day praying and thanking God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. But it was here for me to live in. Thank you. But my desire, Lord, is to be with you. And this is the life of faith. This is what Abraham... Now think about Abraham for a second. Abraham's entire identity was the land. For the Jews, it was all about the land. It was all about the nation. It was all about being God's people. That was it. It was all about that. And he was kind of indifferent to it as compared to eternity. I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to be with God. I want to live for a better country. To dream of that day when we live in the place God has built. Do you remember what Jesus says? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would tell you the truth. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. What was he telling the disciples? Quit worrying about here and now. I'm building a place for you in heaven that is beyond your wildest dreams. In the presence of God, there are pleasures forevermore. A believer who is living by faith focuses her attention there rather than here while living gratefully for what God has given us here. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us of a life of faith. Thank you for Abraham. What an example. It's so easy for us, Lord. You know this about us more than we do, but it's so easy for us to look at somebody like Abraham and justify our own thinking. Well, things were different for him. Well, he didn't have this. There wasn't really a nation in place. And to give an excuse for us to not live by faith. Lord, I ask personally this morning, and I would encourage our church to ask personally this morning for you to help us not focus too much of our attention on the temporary, but to focus more of our attention on the eternal, to spend time sharing the gospel with our neighbors rather than complaining to our neighbors, to spend time sharing Jesus with our coworkers rather than complaining to our coworkers. Lord, we know, we know that what the world needs is you, it's Jesus. People need the Lord. We know that. We sing that. Lord, help us to live it this week. Thank you for America. Thank you for the freedoms we've got. Thank you for the many blessings you have placed upon this nation. Help us to use them for your glory. But help us, Lord, not to put our eggs in that basket. Help us to live for a better country, your presence, just like Abraham. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we continue our worship this morning. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, Bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed.
washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. By your perfect sacrifice, I plan. Thank you for watching this video of one of our recent services. It's a pleasure for us to have you join us from a distance and join our church in a time of worship around the Word of God. The most important message that we can tell you is that God loves you. And he loves you so much that He gave Jesus Christ as payment for your sins. And the Bible says that all that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We want you to know that message that true life is found in Jesus Christ. An eternal life, the opportunity to live with God forever in heaven, in spite of our sinfulness. True life is only found in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Would you be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to pray something like this? Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know there's nothing I can do about my sinfulness. I don't want to pay for my own sin, and I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want his death on the cross to pay for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my own way and make Jesus Lord of my life. Would you be willing to pray something like that and put your faith in Jesus Christ? If so, we want to help you as you start your spiritual journey with Jesus Christ. God loves you. Our church loves you. We're glad that you could watch this message today. God bless.